In the previous episode, 88% of the population is considered metabolically unwell. No wonder we have the epidemics of so many diseases these days. Autoimmune disease, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, to say nothing of the acute viral infections that are becoming pandemic or have become pandemic over the last two years. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, a podcast for health and wellness practitioners passionately committed to transforming our current broken disease-focused system. Your host, Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, is devoted to helping you get results with complex health challenges like autoimmune, hormonal imbalances, and chronic health challenges caused by nutritional and lifestyle-induced imbalances. Here's your host, Dr. Rita Marie. In today's episode of Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for health and wellness practitioners passionate about making a difference, I'll be taking a deep dive into the effect of fasting on metabolic health and blood sugar regulation. If you're a health practitioner who really wants to help people to get well, not to just cover up symptoms, not to just apply protocols, whether nutritional or pharmaceutical, we are doing a live event that's just right for you. It's called Functional Nutrigenomics in Clinical Practice. And it's all about how you can learn the genetic testing you can do with people to help you to personalize their diet and lifestyle plans. And when you put that together with your typical really great functional history and lab testing, you're gonna have all you need. So join us for an online virtual event that you can attend from anywhere. It's June 2nd to 4th, 2023, and you can get there by going to nesliveconference.com. That's nesliveconference.com, and we'll also put the link on the show notes page. One of the most misguided pieces of information and advice given to people suspected of having blood sugar imbalance is to eat frequent meals. You've probably heard that. You might have even said that in the past. This flies in the face of biochemistry and how insulin really functions in the body. Because every time we eat, insulin levels increase to handle the sugar load. And once glucose makes its way into the cells, insulin is supposed to drop back down to baseline level, which ideally is between two and five if you were to do it on a blood test, and we enter fasting mode. During fasting, when insulin is low, blood sugar is low. Ideally, it's between 70 and 85 unless you're in ketosis or your patient is in ketosis. And really healthy metabolic processes start to occur in the fasting state. We get an increase in growth hormone, which stimulates fat burning and tissue repair and lean muscle storage and takes away hunger. So what I just described is how things are supposed to work. So between meals, we rely on storage and we take time to heal, to detox. In longer stages of fasting, we're going to get something called autophagy stimulated, usually around 16 hours, and we'll get to that in a little bit. And that's a process of the body going in and eating up damaged cells that just don't work really well anymore. So let's talk about what actually happens when people eat every two to three hours, like some so-called experts recommend. Because food is in constant supply, 
blood glucose levels never return to baseline. And insulin stays elevated all day because every time there's a new meal coming in, the insulin levels go up. Since insulin is what's called an anabolic hormone, meaning it's a storage hormone, it puts the brakes on fat burning and weight loss is often stalled. And I know not everybody that we see is interested in dropping weight. Some of them are actually struggling to keep on weight. But I would say the majority of people look around. Obesity is on the rise. Overweight is on the rise. So fat burning stalling is a big problem. Weight loss stalling is a big problem for lots of the people we see. High levels of insulin interfere with growth hormone. And appetite is never effectively turned off. Do you talk to patients who say, no matter what I eat, I finish my meal and I need some more. I want some more. My stomach feels full, but my brain is saying I need more. That's what we want to help people with because that becomes really, really challenging. When insulin is high, the hunger persists even after a big meal. And oftentimes it's a hunger for something sweet. Let me explain a little bit about the biochemistry of that. So you eat a meal, the glucose elevates in the blood, insulin levels come up and pancreas is working properly, the insulin levels go up, but insulin resistance develops so that the insulin can't get the sugar into the cells. So now you have high blood sugar, but low cellular sugar, which means that the mitochondria can't work properly. They have no substrate to turn into energy. And you'll hear this a lot. People feel tired even after they've eaten a big meal because their signal is not getting to the brain, to the pancreas, to stop producing insulin and to turn off the hunger. So when the insulin resistance develops, we have high levels of not just glucose in the blood, we have high levels of insulin. And yeah, you know, insulin's one of those Goldilocks type of hormones that We want the levels to be just right. If insulin goes too high, there are damaging effects on the tissues. It damages blood vessels, causes them to stiffen. It damages the other cells in the body. It causes the blood pressure to go up. It's a strain. And one of the common causes, as we've talked about in previous episodes, is that insulin contributes to sudden cardiac death more than any other issue. So why are people given this advice to eat every two hours? Well, it temporarily circumvents the problem of the glucose plummeting after a meal due to high insulin levels. So if the blood sugar, somebody is having a reactive hypoglycemia episode and the blood sugar goes way down, yeah, eat a handful of whatever that has carbs in it and the sugar goes up. So what's happening here is instead of addressing the real cause, the root cause, we're just putting a Band-Aid on it and saying, eat every two hours and that'll keep your blood sugar steady. In the short term, yes, but not in the long term. And because doctors rarely test insulin, even in diabetics, they rarely test insulin. We don't know that they have high levels of insulin. We don't know what the situation is. I have had people test their fasting insulin before they even eaten anything and had it be in the 20 and 30 range, which is very high. It should be between two and five. So then we go and we test it postprandial, postprandial meaning after meals. So we test the postprandial insulin and it goes up even higher 
putting people at risk of heart disease, stroke, hypertension, diabetes, yes, of course, and cancer. So there's a lot of problems here. And we need to be able to teach people how to eat properly, shift the metabolism so that it's not hard to go three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours between meals. And that's what we need to be talking about. There's a big push in the market these days. You've probably heard it and you probably know people who do it and maybe you do it yourself for intermittent fasting. And intermittent fasting we talked about in episode one a little bit, but really intermittent fasting is the way the body is designed. It's to eat, have space, process it, do other things metabolically, and then eat again. So how can we use fasting and intermittent fasting with patients who are metabolically unwell, with patients who are overproducing insulin and then having their blood sugars plummet? How do we do that without causing them to be uncomfortable or putting them at risk of passing out, having episodes where they can't function? So I recommend that we start with an overnight fast, and then we gradually extend the window. Most people sleep for somewhere between six and eight hours, some people longer, some people shorter, but most people aren't waking up in the middle of the night and going to the kitchen and eating, right? So we start with people going, okay, 12 hours between meals is great. Finish your last meal. We start to move the last meal back because a lot of people are eating right before bed. We start to move that window back so that there's at least a three-hour gap between finishing their last bit of food and going to bed. That adds three hours to the fasting window. If folks are having trouble with that, you do it very, very gradually. Then we can extend it in the morning. Ideally, 12 hours between dinner and breakfast is not really considered intermittent fasting. It's considered normal metabolism normal activity. So we help people to extend so that they get to at least 12 hours between dinner and breakfast. So when we do this, we're helping people to become metabolically fit. We're helping people to be able to rely on stores. What most people don't realize is that growth hormone, which is really effective at triggering fat burning and the storage of lean muscle, a super important hormone. And it also triggers repair. That there's a big spike in growth hormone after eating and before bed, like right at that beginning of the sleep. And when we eat right before we go to sleep, we thwart that spike. We thwart detoxification. We thwart fat burning and lean muscle storage. And people get hungrier. So start with just extending that evening. That, that fast overnight. If you can get them to 12 hours, then you can start to extend it beyond that. What the studies show is that at about 16 hours of fasting, we start to trigger this process called autophagy. And what is autophagy? Well, it's this process of the body going in and gobbling up bad cells, cancer cells, damaged cells, cells that are not functioning properly. And we use them as fuel. Get that? It's not just gobbling up bad cells, but using them as fuel for the body. And that happens normally at about 16 hours past the the last meal. So about 16 hours of fasting, we stimulate autophagy. 
Maximum autophagy usually takes two to three days to get into. And many people, most people probably are not willing to go two to three days without food. Not that that's a bad thing, but there are precautions you need to take when you're working with people to make sure that they are fit enough to be able to go that long. I've seen magic happen when people go into 24-hour fasts, 36-hour fasts, 72-hour fasts, and even longer. I worked with a man a few years ago, and he had heard my story, which was Back in, the, ooh, back in the day, let's just say, when I was in my 20s and I was struggling, I was struggling with reactive hypoglycemia, I was struggling with fatigue, I was struggling with a lot of health issues. And I read about, learned about fasting, and I actually went to a fasting retreat and did 28 days of water fasting. I was supervised. And this man who's a, a husband of a friend heard about this and said, I want to do that. I'm like, well, there's a lot of fasting places you can go. And he didn't want to do that anyway. Long story short, I agreed to supervise him. I agreed to supervise him, you know, from, he was local, so I could see him need be. And we started it off that way. And I just took him through and had him take his vitals. And I really watched it. Not something that I I uh, offer to the faint of heart unless you're really educated on this and can keep track because you don't want something bad to happen over the course of that long. But he was insistent. He wanted to do 28 days like I did. He was diabetic. He was type 2 diabetic, but he was on insulin because his pancreas was failing. He was on metformin. He was on blood pressure medication. So what we did was have him go in and have a full exam with his doctor, full exam, and get the approval. Like, this is what I'm going to be doing. How do I do this? What do I do as I need less insulin? What do I do if my blood pressure starts to go down? And the doctor gave him guidance. It was very great that we had that. I wouldn't have done it without that. Doctor gave him guidance on to as your blood sugar, if it gets below this, you know, you lower your insulin by this much. And he did. And by 14 days in, he was off insulin. He was off insulin. He, was, he didn't eat, but he had a little... Struggle. He had some dizziness. I can't remember the exact symptoms. So sent him in to get blood work done. His magnesium was low. His sodium was low. We supplemented with liquid uh, magnesium and sodium. Put that in his water. He was insistent. He, he wanted to continue. And we had to make sure we had the blessings of his medical doctor examining him to do it. And he did. And he made it to 28 days. The overall weight loss in the prep phase in that was in the range of 40 pounds. He was off by the end of all the insulin. By actually, by two weeks in, he was off of the insulin, off of the metformin, and off of the blood pressure medication. That's the magic of fasting for metabolic health. Now, it's up to him to continue that, right? Because there's also a piece of it that we need to work with people on, which is the emotional connection to food, that emotional eating. Fasting is really... It works well for people who are emotionally attached to food, but oftentimes it can boomerang at the end. So you want to be careful with that. Not everybody is diabetic. Not everybody is on insulin. Not everybody's on the medications. And I would caution you to be super, super careful and work with their prescribing physician. If you are their prescribing physician, you have the up in being able to use this method the longer term. But what about shorter fasts? You can actually do amazing with shorter fasts or series of shorter fasts. Actually, our 28-day guy 
We did a series of shorter fasts. He did a one-day fast. Then he did a two-day. Then he did a three-day. Then he did a four. He's a little concerned when he got to the day four because his blood sugar fasting had dropped from in the, you know, the, the 160 range down into the 60s. So he didn't want to go beyond that and started eating. But we, we did a series of short fasts. And it's amazing what it can do to metabolic health. Even just a series of 16 to 24-hour fasts. When I first learned about intermittent fasting, um, the whole concept was 24 hours. Like, try to do a 24-hour fast a couple of days a week, but not consecutive. And so what happens is you don't have to go any days without eating. And that's one thing you can assure your clients of. They don't need to go a single day without eating. And what happens is they can go from like, say, breakfast one day to breakfast the next day, 24 hours. Lunch one day to lunch the next day, 24 hours. Dinner one day to dinner the next day, 24 hours. And that's something that a lot of folks can do. Some people do better with breakfast to breakfast. Some people do better with lunch to lunch. And some people do better with dinner to dinner. And there's some things that you can be asking them to figure out what's going to be best for them. In our Sweet Spot program and then our Stay in the Sweet Spot program, I teach people how to find their best fasting window, their best eating window, and jump into it. And it works phenomenally well. We've had people literally reverse their type 2 diabetes. Not technically, we're not allowed to say that, but okay, they go from having high blood sugar to low blood sugar or normal blood sugar within two to three to four weeks by incorporating shorter fasts. And it doesn't have to be 24 hours. It doesn't have to be the full day. It could be 12 to 14 to 16 hours on a regular basis. And then spacing meals during the day four to six hours apart. And if this is somebody who's been given that advice and needs to go slowly with that, we just have them gradually increase the window and find the window that works. And it's almost like magic. Fasting, intermittent fasting for metabolic health, phenomenal. We've worked with people, thousands of people over the years, teaching them to take charge of their glucose teaching them to measure their glucose at home, teaching them how to request certain tests from their doctors to help them determine where they are on the spectrum of metabolic health, the spectrum that goes from mm, hyperinsulin to reactive hypoglycemia all the way to full-blown diabetes on the other end. And it's phenomenal when people test. And there's a term I coined, which is pre-insulin resistance go to the doctor, they're not going to metabolically test them and, and find out that they're insulin resistant yet because of their levels. But I consider this people who maybe their fasting blood sugar is a little bit high. It's in the 90s, but not diagnosable as insulin resistance yet. But the postprandial tests will tell you the story. And when they're having spikes that shoot their sugar up, I say that they're pre-insulin resistant. And all the metabolic changes that happen with metabolic unwellness are starting to happen to them. Why do we want to wait for them to have peripheral neuropathy or retinopathy or kidney problems or stiffened vessels and potential heart attack? Why do we want to wait? We don't. So 
learn to test people for pre-insulin resistance. Anybody that has a blood sugar fasting consistently over 90 is probably in that stage. Learn how to test them after meals. And 15, every 15 minutes after meals, not every two hours like conventional diabetic education. And when you can do this and when you can help people to get into fasting state, even if they're going from two hours to four hours between meals, it's improving their metabolic health. Even if they're going from six hours from dinner or their last meal, which is usually that bedtime snack at midnight, to breakfast, and you can extend that to eight or 10 or 12, you're helping their metabolic health. Fasting and intermittent fasting are amazing tools for helping people restore their metabolic health, for helping people to reduce their excess insulin levels, to reduce their high blood sugar, increase their growth hormone. And all this happens within a very short window. So I encourage you as a takeaway, just do it yourself, get a blood glucose meter, start to test yourself, and then teach this as a amazing tool for your patients and clients. And I want to encourage you to go deeper with this. We've provided you with a resource. It's called the Many Faces of Fasting. And in that document, I talk about all the different ways that you can do fasting, intermittent fasting, all the benefits, the effects that it has metabolically on the system. And if you go to reinventhealthcare.com, you will see that listed there regarding this show. And when you go there, you'll be able to download this document that I put together. And it's very, very detailed and very, very complete. So go out there, be the best practitioner you can. Let's disrupt this broken system together and reinvent it. So go out and shine on. Thank you for listening to the Reinvent Healthcare podcast. Join the movement of practitioners that are guiding people to actually get well rather than covering up their symptoms. Connect with us at reinventhealthcare.com to access resources and tools that will empower you to create a thriving health practice.